Welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I'm Neha Sampat, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack and also a certified sommelier. So yes, we drink wine here. I'm joined by Kelly Manthe, the Global Chief Executive Officer at digital transformation consulting firm Kin and Carta. She also sits on the board of directors of Skills for Chicagoland's Future and is a full-time mom. Today, we're going to talk about building businesses for sustainability, leading with empathy, and her involvement with Skills for Chicagoland's Future. Let's get started. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me, Neha. This is fantastic. It's so exciting to have you here. We're also on the professional side partners with Kin and Carter. So Content Second Kin and Carter are helping each other to grow, which is always awesome. I just wanted to start by saying congratulations on your new role as group CEO of Kin and Carter. What do you think the number one philosophy or lesson you learned through your career has brought you to this awesome opportunity? Oh, wow. Well, there's so much. You know, I've been in the consulting industry for 25 years. I've been in what is now Kin and Carta for 16 years. And the one thing that's been really a consistent theme is being open to curiosity. And when a door opens, sometimes you don't know where it's going to ultimately lead. But if you just kind of follow your curiosity and lean into what, what you're interested in, great things tend to happen. When you're interested in something, you tend to do really great work. That gets noticed. And that kind of carries you through your career. So following what's interesting and doors that are opening and my curiosity has always been something that served me really well. I couldn't agree more. And interestingly enough, I've always been very curious about wine. And so I decided to to follow a passion for wine and study it all the way through to becoming a certified sommelier, which happened 12 years ago and before I was running this company. So I do it for fun and as a hobby, but this is a really fun part of our podcast because we get to taste something. So what we've chosen for today is the GoldenEye Anderson Valley Pinot Noir. This is a 2019. We both have a bottle and a glass with us. And cheers, Kelly. All right. Cheers. This Mm. is a reliable, always tastes the same year over year. They do such a great job with the consistency. And I just love GoldenEye. It's actually pretty cool. I've been to the winery And it's called GoldenEye because it sits in the Anderson Valley on the migratory path of the GoldenEye duck, which is why they call it that, which is kind of a cool fun fact. You'll use the official words. I'll say it's delicious. (laughs) It's delicious and it smells wonderful. Beautiful bouquet. It does have a beautiful bouquet. And these wines, especially from this area, the Pinot Noirs have these aromas of like red fruit, raspberry, strawberry, red plum rather than like the dark fruits and some of the heavier bodied wines. But this is for a Pinot, actually pretty heavy bodied. It's not so much opaque, but it's not as light as like a typical California Pinot Noir. Definitely tastes middle of the road, not too thin, not too light, but it's got some body to it. Absolutely. Awesome. So we'll continue to enjoy this while we go on, but I can't wait to get to talking a little bit more about Kelly's story. So let's jump in. We'll start with talking a little bit more about Kinnincarta. So as far as I understand and the opportunity that we've had to work together, Kin and Carta deals in sustainable digital transformation. And I think that word is used in a lot of different ways. From your perspective, what kind of sustainability are we talking about? Yeah, well, first of all, we are a pure play digital transformation consultancy that's helping our customers across the spectrum of all of their mission critical 
applications and systems. So when it's when it's got to be done, it's got to be delivered, and it's core to the business and mission critical, they call us in. Our real differentiator is we bring a lens of social responsibility, understanding that that's a priority and sustainability is a priority for all of our clients today. So just like we innovate on a lot of our emerging technology capabilities, we're also helping our clients innovate on how to make their sustainability agendas real and how to how to deliver on some of their social responsibility and, and sustainability objectives using technology. So carbon footprint reduction. So a lot of the cloud modernization work that we do is helping our clients reduce their carbon footprints. And so we're rolling out a carbon reduction calculator this year alongside many of the capabilities that we do to really go on this journey with our clients. Everybody's early in it, including ourselves but really to go on the journey with our clients to help them you know, think about delivering their mission-critical applications and mission-critical work, how can they also achieve some of their sustainability objectives alongside of that? That's awesome. And what's super admirable is that you're already doing that. And like you said, it's early in everyone's journey related yeah. to sustainability, but it's becoming increasingly more important and more strategic to companies. And so you yeah. guys are already there and you're already leading the path. And we are sending customers your way when they ask about it as well, which is really, really fun. Can you think of a proud client transformation story, sort of the before and after? Boy, we are so fortunate to work with some of the world's you know, most recognizable brands. And so unfortunately, I can't talk about all of those brands that we get to work with, but I'm really proud of a lot of the work that we're doing around precision agriculture, for example. So it's it's truly farm to table. When you think about one of the world's oldest professions, how we're how we're modernizing kind of the farming industry and helping helping farmers who are really the fabric of, you know, a lot of our world and, and kind of the fabric of helping to bring food to everyone's table, helping them do their jobs better, helping them do their jobs more efficiently. And so some of the greatest innovations are happening in some of the industries that, you know, maybe we don't think of innovation first in those industries, but through working with some of our clients in the agribusiness vertical, you know, we're helping them to help farmers modernize um, how they use less fertilizer or use the right amount of fertilizer to grow more efficiently, how to predict yields better. And so all of that preciseness helps reduce and eliminate a lot of the waste that can find its way into some of that. That's really amazing. What are some examples like of how businesses can be more sustainable when it's not something that's typically discussed or a part of their story? What do you tell them? Yeah, I think, you know, you got to kind of start start where you are. And so I think a lot of businesses will kind of set out these really big, big ambitions, but the one place to start is kind of looking looking inside and looking at your own business. And so small things like travel, reducing travel, or looking at ways to reduce the carbon footprint in travel. We're all getting out there more now. And we're, you know, traveling again and kind of leaving our screens finally. Mm -hmm. uh, but being conscious and how do you embed those practices and those new ways of thinking into every level of the organization. And so I think it's just kind of looking at some of your own policies and really starting small and starting there and bringing in awareness. So setting those goals internally to kind of get those small wins on becoming a more sustainable and more aware business. That's such a strong message. It's everybody can make a little bit of a difference if they're paying attention. And I think that comes back down to the awareness. 
You've said in the past that sustainability can sometimes be an ivory tower. Can you share how Ken and Carta overcomes that? Yeah. So we've actually set a, we call it a big, heroic, audacious goal as a business. So we've, we've set out as a business, a, a bold ambition to help our clients reduce, you know, a million tons of CO2 from the world. And so to do that, we've instituted a carbon reduction calculator that we're getting ready to roll out this year. And so I think first is kind of casting a vision of what's a big goal that you want to set out. And this isn't something that's going to happen in the next, you know, two months or even 12 months. This is a long game. So by 2027, we're looking to help our clients reduce a million tons of carbon. And then it's projectizing it and it's saying, okay, what's the incremental win we're going to have this year? How are we going to go about doing it? So we set the ambition. We've got a team aligned around creating this calculator, getting out in the field, working with our clients on how we can actually make it real and deploy it to projects and look at what their world looks like and and how we can help them, again, go on this journey that we're all very early in together. But it's making it the company's kind of mission and making everybody in the company aware that we're on this journey and what role they can play in it. So at the point of building a client solution. It's really the engineer. It's the project manager. It's the user experience designer. It's everybody's got a role in how we can help enable our clients to look at the solutions that we're helping them build. Also through the lens of how do we make more impact here? How can we help achieve some of the sustainability goals through the work that we're going to be doing with our clients anyway? It's interesting, right? Because it always comes down to the people. And if the people are aligned around a mission and they have the same North Star and they're marching together, we get so much further faster and the impact becomes real. I'm curious when you think about, obviously there's growth, a lot of growth here because the market's moving in the direction of needing more of what you do and you're Mm -hmm. having to grow your team. When you're hiring new team members, what do you look for in having the best team for this mission? Yeah, well, again, we are a digital transformation consultancy. We live at the intersection of data, front-end experiences, back-end technologies. And so we really look for people who are curious. We look for people who embrace the fast-moving world that technology is, that embrace what the possibilities are and want to be part of being on the leading edge of where things are going. And then how do we bring that back into each client? Every client we work with is on a different kind of in a different state of maturity as it relates to embracing the new evolutions in technology and what's new to one business might not be new to another business. And so you really have to be curious and you have to really be up to the task to jump into the environments that look different across every business that we work in and say, how can I help this client achieve their goals? And how can we use emerging technologies or, you know, keep a lens to where where the puck's going, so to speak, with technology into this environment? And then the benefit of working with us is that we're always going to bring a bit of a, a sustainability and social responsibility lens to the work that we're going to do anyway. And so how can we help our purpose is to build a world that works better for everyone. And so the way we do that is through delivering for our clients. And it, like you said, it comes back to curiosity. You're looking for yeah. people that are curious and that want to keep growing and learning and, and leading, yeah. which is really great. You're also passionate about mindfulness and empathy as yeah. part of your leadership style. How do you think about that? How do you build that culture in your organization? Yeah, you know, the double-edged sword of being curious is that you have a mind that's always racing. You're always, you see possibilities everywhere and always connecting dots. So 
stillness and taking time to take breaks is something that is super important to really kind of take time for yourself to relax and kind of collect yourself and, and recharge and just makes you a better person. So, you know, we all live in Slack and Zoom and you know, all these electronic ways of kind of communicating. And sometimes it can be hard to remember to step away and be mindful that it's time to step away and take a break. Some of our business has a, a reminder. I've seen a reminder in Slack channels that remind people to step away from their desk. And that little nudge, that little reminder is just a great way to, to remind all of us to just be at peace with doing nothing for a minute, <laughs> to take a break. Because when you're going from Zoom to Zoom meeting, you don't have that natural break in walking from conference room to conference room that you do when you're in person, which I think we're all missing a little bit. So it's being deliberate and it's making sure that you bake that time in. So we like to bake in helpful reminders for our employees, but then there's different routines that you can set up for yourself to also help you to remember to kind of step away and be comfortable doing nothing. <laughs> I love it. And that's probably one of my favorite features on the watch when it reminds you to just take a step yeah. back and breathe. <laughs> and yeah. it coaches you through how to breathe because you think you should know as a human how to breathe, but sometimes you actually need the reminder to like make you stop and focus on something different than your screen. Yes. Which is awesome. <laughs> and you run marathons to practice mindfulness. Let's be clear. I have run marathons. <laughs> My last marathon, I think, was in 2012, but I have run three three or four marathons. <laughs> That's still a remarkable accomplishment. I've uh, done a couple halves, you. but I've never done a full. And I definitely learned from those experiences. And they're like, even, even if it's just one thing that you set out to do, that's difficult to do and yeah. getting through it. What have you learned? What have those experiences taught you? Oh, it's taught me resilience, resilience and endurance. You know, it's like, there's no greater challenge than, you know, when you're running, it's all you, there's no equipment, there's no anyone else. It's just you, you got to rely on yourself and anybody can run a marathon at any fitness level. You just got to put in the work and to train. And as they say, the real races run the 18 weeks that you train before the actual marathon. That's the real race. Can you do it? Can you set a schedule and stick to it? So I've learned so many lessons in life by setting out that goal of, you know, attempting to run the, the 26.2 miles and it's sticking to the schedule. It's taught me discipline. It's taught me what I'm capable of. I mean, never in a million years would I think that I'd be able to do that. Why would anyone do that? It's nuts. <laughs> but it really taught me discipline and endurance and what I'm capable of. So it's it's something I'm very proud of. In our pre-interview, you talked about listening to other stories and how Kinnikarta addressed itself internally in the midst of the height of the Black Lives Matter movement a couple of years ago. And we were all like in lockdown, but you listened to people in your organization. Can you tell that story to our listeners and just kind of talk about what you learned and the result there? Yeah, I've certainly learned that, you know, one of the best keys to, to being a, a successful leader or certainly a more aware leader is just taking time to pause and to actually listen. And when, when you don't fully know everything that's going on or understand everything that's going on is to really make the space to, to listen and to gather information and to, form, and to form your own opinion. So during the Black Lives Matter movement, I took the opportunity to enter into a reverse mentor relationship. So a wonderful leader in our organization, Dina, she agreed to take me on as her mentee and to create a safe space for me as a leader to ask her questions about 
what does this mean to you? What does this feel like for you? How should I be thinking about what do you need from a leader? What do you need from a company right now? as we all navigate uh, this time together. And so it was really a safe place where I could ask any question I wanted to and didn't have to worry about offending anyone or feeling like I wasn't able to get my questions answered. And it, it really left a huge mark and it changed me forever. I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity because through our mentor-mentee relationship, you know, she really helped to influence how we responded as a company and has how we responded to individuals in our business and how we thought about how we open up this dialogue on race that has typically been something that you don't always talk about inside of of work and so through listening i learned what was really needed and and oftentimes what's needed is just to create a safe space where other people can talk and listen and you don't always have to give answers you just have to create a safe space so that people feel like it's okay to process you know, what's going on. And so I learned a really a lot of really important lessons through that relationship. And she's someone that I really continue to to trust and, and rely on. I think that's amazing. And I, I always think about when I'm trying to create a safe space, I start with this is a place in space with no judgment. And it just kind of takes the guards down and you can have the hard conversations, but it's not easy to create that until you build a little yeah. bit of trust. And obviously you've figured out how to do that. Probably the most important lesson that I've, that I've learned is that I think as leaders, we have a bias towards action and we think we need to react very quickly. And I've really learned the power of slowing down for a minute, listening, gathering my thoughts, gathering some information, and then responding very thoughtfully. It doesn't always have to be immediate reaction, but taking the time and space to, to listen and then respond thoughtfully is often what's needed. That's an important lesson you're sharing. So your mom, <laughs> yes, you talk about that. I think it's even on your LinkedIn profile, which I think is really amazing. How has being a mom changed the way that you think about leadership? Oh, it's made me so much more compassionate. First of all, it can be really challenging and really hard to be a, a full-time mom, full-time wife, and full-time professional at any level. Uh, when you're trying to balance all of those things and all of those priorities, it's stressful and it's hard. And I don't have any magic formula other than navigating and jumping in and relying on a great partner to kind of help. But it's made me incredibly compassionate. I see life through the eyes of my kids and that's made me a much more empathetic person. And so that's kind of translated into the work environment where I think it's made me a little bit softer sometimes. And it's given me the ability to appreciate seeing the world through someone else's eyes and how things might look through their eyes so it's it's really helped make me a much more empathetic leader. That's awesome. So I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your work at Skills for Chicagoland's Future. Tell us what they do. Tell us about the organization. Yeah, they serve the under and unemployed in Chicago and actually nationwide. So they look in neighborhoods that maybe people aren't traditionally looking for talent. And they source talent from, from those neighborhoods that are maybe underserved, and they match them with demand in employers. So these are jobs that help people focus on economic mobility. So it's really giving people the opportunity to jump into careers where they can kind of grow in the careers and build their own path to economic mobility. So it's something I'm super passionate about. I'm, I'm a child of unemployment. I've seen what the ravages of unemployment, you know, the stigma of unemployment and how that can kind of affect a family and affect individuals. And so 
the CEO, uh, Marie Lynch, is a fabulous person. And so when she approached me about potentially getting involved in the organization, I did not hesitate to get involved. That's amazing. And their, their tagline is fit for the purpose. How do you feel like you contribute or help them accomplish getting there? One of the wonderful things about serving on a nonprofit board, and I would say this to anyone, is that you get to bring the skills that you have in the in your normal day-to-day job, but you get to flex them in a different way towards a different problem. And so for me, it's been a really great kind of creative outlet and way for me to apply the skills that I'm applying in my in my day-to-day job, but apply it towards, you know, a different industry and solving different problems. And it's been incredibly fulfilling and, and incredibly meaningful for me. Yeah. And just when you're making impact, it's just good vibes. It's good for you. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful to see the impact that that you can make. Okay. One more question. What's one thing people can do to help bridge the access gap and increase equity for others? Yeah. It's think outside of the box. I mean, I think we think about traditional sources of talent and talent pipelines and traditional things. And most people get their jobs and navigate their career through a wonderful network. What if you didn't have that network? How would you navigate? And so I think it's getting out in your communities and seeing where you can get involved and being open-minded. And particularly, you know, right now, as we're all looking for the best talent, looking for ways to, to make sure that we're finding the best talent, it's thinking differently about where that talent lives and removing some of the bias that can traditionally be in some of the, the traditional talent acquisition and sourcing processes. And that's something that we focus on quite a bit, is thinking beyond some of those traditional biases. I totally share this passion with you and finding talent in unusual places is something that I've always had a lot of pride in, but also feel like that's an area that all of us can make more of an impact and and level the playing field really for people that don't have the same access that maybe we yeah. had growing up. Okay. We're going to move into rapid fire and oh, I'm going to ask you a few questions that I ask all of my guests. And the first one is, what is your wake up song? Oh, I love something that gets me moving in the morning, like Eminem, anything by Eminem. I'm all over Lucky You right now. Like I listen to it like twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) If the 19-year-old you asked you today what they should be listening to or reading, what would you advise? Oh, I discovered a wonderful book in my local library, Pima Chodron. She's a Buddhist nun. I discovered it on the staff pick shelf, I don't know, about five years ago. And it's called The Places That Scare You. It was 150 pages. I'm like, I can definitely get through this. It's not too long. But it really sent me down the journey of mindfulness. Compassion for self first is how you can give compassion to others. Nothing's permanent. Everything flows like a river. The good times come, the good times go. The bad times come, the bad times go. So I would definitely tell my 19-year-old self to chill and to read this book, (laughs) to realize nothing is permanent in life. (laughs) Really good advice. Kelly, can you recommend a wine? Oh, let's see. I am a Pinot Noir drinker. I actually really, really enjoy a nice Pinot Noir, although now with fall coming, I'm more into Pinot Noir. I'm coming off of my Sauvignon Blanc summer. I like a nice crisp sipper in the summer. So brand, I mean, I like the Kirkland Costco brand. (laughs) Yes. There's some good ones. The Russian River Valley, um, they have some really great brands. So my husband's my sommelier and he always does a nice pick for me at Costco. That's awesome. Okay. Final question is what's the next thing our listeners should do to help them become dream makers? Oh man, 
you know, follow your curiosity. It's a uncertain world we live in, that's for sure. But I would lean into the uncertainty and really follow your curiosity. And you never know as doors open, one door closes, another door opens. Um, you know, there's possibilities everywhere. So follow what you're passionate about. Um, your intuition knows what the next opportunity is. It's just right around the corner and on the other side of your curiosity. Amazing. That was super inspiring. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for joining us at Dream Makers. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. This was fantastic. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to the Dream Makers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF, that's N-E-H-A-S-F, with your comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, wine, or Dreammaker Woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to Dreammakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human. 